Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Charles Spurgeon said, our sorrows are all like ourselves mortal. There are no immortal sorrows for immortal souls. They come, but blessed be God, they also go. Like birds of the air, they fly over our heads, but they cannot make their abode in our soul. We suffer today, but we shall rejoice tomorrow. And in this lesson, we're going to be covering, it's lesson number eight, part three. Uh, we're covering the cre- sea creatures and birds from uh, passage Genesis 1, 20 through 23, the uh, fifth day. And we're ending this lesson with discussion of birds. Well, what does the Bible say about the origin of the birds? What does the Bible tell us about That's interesting. I must have been pressing the buttons. There we are. What does the Bible tell us about the origin of birds? And just how good is the scientific evidence that some dinosaurs evolved into birds? Well, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 39 tells us that there are different kinds of flesh. One for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. That does not mean, however, that all birds represent a single creative kind and thus share a common ancestry. The Bible tells us that there are many different kinds, plural, of birds. The Levitical dietary laws tell us, for example, that there are many different uh, kinds as being unclean. Augustine said uh, there are clean and unclean birds. The dove and the raven, they are alike in the ark. So we have a wonderful way that the Lord has used birds to illustrate many things about us, about himself. And I've got a few passages here. Genesis 8, 6 through 7, concerning Noah and the raven, he provides protection and a fulfillment of promise concerning the dry land and protection of people. In Exodus 19 and verse 4, God provided for the people who were leaving Egypt. They carried... They were carried on eagles' wings. And in Deuteronomy 22, verse 6 through 7, there's the description of our stewardship, that we are not to take the mother along with the eggs or the young birds. He provides for us, but there's also a stewardship and care for animals. 1 Kings 17, God provides protection and provision for prophets and gives us an illustration for those who are dealing with depression and despondency. Psalm 78, verse 27 the description of the departure from Egypt and the wandering in the wilderness where God rained meat on them like dust, birds like sand on the seashore. And again, Psalm 50 in verse 11 and 12, God shows how sovereign, wise, and omniscient he is. He knows every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are his. If he were as hungry, he would not tell us for all the world is his. In Jeremiah 7, verse 33, there is an incredible description of judgment and his righteous vengeance upon his enemies. You see oftentimes that the birds of the air will pick at the bones of those who have rebelled against him. And Jesus, of course, in Matthew 6, verse 25 through 27, talks about looking at the birds. They don't plan or harvest or store food for your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than them? And again, in Luke chapter 12, verse 6 through 7, 
Are not two sparrows sold, five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God. God cares for us. And of course, the famous passage in Isaiah, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those that wait upon the Lord will gain strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles, right? They will run and not weary. They will walk and not faint. Well, let's consider the amazing design of the one who created birds. There's a wonderful video. And again, if we drop the lights a little bit and play that video, uh, we'll see a little bit of what Answers in Genesis provides for us concerning the topic of flight. Okay, not a problem. We'll keep going. Uh, we'll, look at the, uh, we'll look at the design of birds. We'll move forward. Hopefully that sound will stop. All right, incredible design of birds. You see a wide variety of birds here. Some amazing creatures, of course, the peacock, the toucan, the bird of paradise. Um, you'll see the uh, wood mallard that you see there, the tiny kingfisher. Uh, these are amazing, just the amount of color and variation in the birds. And even if you look at the woodpecker. But I think we, our video is available now. Let's go ahead and watch that. Again, Michael, if you would, you go ahead and drop the lights a little bit. Uh, actually, this is the second. The first video is the one we want to see, the one on uh, the, the flight from Answers and... That was in the... Uh, that was in the movie. Uh, that was in the... Uh, uh, we can drop... ...being a problem. Their complex design works together in perfect harmony to make flight possible. Consider the common... Perhaps no living thing has captured man's imagination more than birds. Birds were specially created on day five 
before God made dinosaurs and other land animals. Their complex design works together in perfect harmony to make flight possible. Consider the common seagull. First, it's designed to be light. Its bones are hollow, but strengthened by braces. Engineers have adopted this same design in airplane wings and steel girders because it's ideal for minimum weight and maximum strength. In addition to being lightweight, birds are well balanced with their weight centered under their wings. Powerful breast muscles pull the wings downward, while an ingenious pulley system pulls the wings upward. Another design is the bird's wishbone. Formed by the fusion of the collarbones, the wishbone is both sturdy and flexible, so it keeps the force of the wing muscles from crushing the bird's chest. Birds also have a high-performance breathing system, unique in the animal world. Rather than constantly lifting and lowering a diaphragm and ribs, their muscles pump air directly into air sacs and hollow bones. At the same time, the strong but light rib cage is held rigid by a clever combination of fused bones and struts. A critical design in birds is a broad surface area for lift. The bird's wings and feathers accomplish this beautifully. The central veins of feathers are hollow for lightness and crisscrossed with barbs and barbules for maximum strength. And at the base of the feathers, individually controlled muscles move and rotate each feather, changing the shape of the wing to maximize lift. Feathers in the tail and wings also control navigation. Every feature of birds, from the muscles in the chest to the feathers on the wings, is well designed for flight. And all of these were created by our God, who designed it and said it was very good. Well, we looked at the pictures of the various colorful birds, uh, whether they're waterfowl or uh, land and uh, flying birds. Uh, but let's go ahead and go to our next section, which is the design of the wonderful woodpecker. If we look at the design of the woodpecker, uh, we see that the bird is amazing in its design. It keeps hammering its head against trees, against its hard surface, and yet the skull doesn't crack and it keeps moving forward. There are a variety of uh, woodpeckers that are found in the Midwest here. These, all these woodpeckers are found in Ohio, and you may actually recognize them. The tiny sapsucker, bottom right-hand corner, the pileated woodpecker, the largest picture there with its young. In recent years, high-tech sports have uh, use the design of how the woodpecker's skull is created to create wonderful helmets that are reducing the amount of concussions that young people or professional athletes incur in sports. There's a whole suite of designs that work together in the woodpecker's brain. Uh, there are a few examples that I give you there. Uh, first is the upper and lower beaks. If you look at the diagram in the upper right-hand corner there, uh, the upper and lower beaks are actually not fused together with the remainder of the skull. And the, when the bird hits the tree, that upper beak moves backwards and deflects the impact away from the remainder of the skull and any damage to the brain. Secondly, the woodpecker's tongue splits into two branches, which run down, down both sides of the neck and wrap around the skull. So every time the beak strikes the tree, the tongue tightens against the jugular vein, 
restricting how much blood can flow out of the brain because, like in our brain, you have a very hard shell and then you have fluid, right, that acts as a cushion. If we were woodpeckers, our skull would break apart. Your nose would probably break too. But there's a certain amount of blood that's necessary to cushion the brain. Well, that blood in the bird's beak, excuse me, in the bird's skull is closely controlled and tied to the action of the beak. Not only does it restrict the amount of blood that can flow out of the brain, but because those two lines go right across the jugular vein, there's actually a slight increase in that cushioning fluid every time the bird pecks at the tree. <clears throat> Lastly, number four, the bird's brain cavity is more compact than ours. So there's less chance for the brain to rattle around inside of my empty skull, I mean uh, the bird's skull. Also, the bird's brain is wider in the front and more narrow in the back, which provides a greater surface area for any cushion. Well, a team of physicians taking their cue from how the woodpecker's brain uh, has been designed fashioned not only a helmet but also a collar for professional athletes. And there's no better way to solve technical problems, whether it's in flight or impact, than to look at the design of the master engineer. Job 12, verse 7 and 9 says, The hand of the Lord has done this. Now, all of these features for the woodpecker are impeccably designed together. That's what some scientists call irreducible complexitivity, which means that you have all of these different factors working together in one bird. For such drilling into a tree, a woodpecker needs to have a tough bill, a heavy-duty skull, and shock-absorbing tissue between the two. But if the woodpecker was put together by time and chance, what would be the odds that the first time a prototype woodpecker slammed its head into a tree through the beak, that the skull would be crushed? Or what would happen if the bird had a beak that both the top and the bottom were connected to the skull, the bird rammed its head into the skull, into the tree, then that top beak, which is longer, would actually force its way into the skull. Time and chance in millions of years are very improbable for this particular combination. Natural selection can't act until all of the favored traits arise by mutation, by time and chance. Well, what about mutations? That's what the evolutionists would tell us. Mutations certainly do occur, and they're responsible for perhaps 5,000 her hereditary defects in human beings alone. Defects, not improvements. Can mutations and natural selection working together, time, chance, struggle, and death, what the evolutionists call TSCD, excuse me, TCSD, time, chance, struggle, and death, can mutations and time work together to produce such desired results? And the answer is no. The probability is that you'd have a lot of dead birds at the bottom of a tree who are trying to peck their way into the slugs and delicious sap that might be their nutrients. Well, let's consider another fact. Ducks swimming in line. We've all seen ducks and ducklings either walking in a line or swimming in a line. And there's a wonderful feature that's just been realized in the last couple of years that the mama duck, when the mama duck swims, she creates a wave interference phenomenon that creates a sweet spot for the first duckling in line 
so that the duckling is basically surfing. The duckling does not have to expend any energy. The second duckling benefits from this as well. Now, the third duckling actually has to evoke some energy and actually has to paddle. But guess what happens after that one? There's again this interrupted wave phenomenon. So these little tiny ducklings that are just hours or days old can safely swim behind a mother. This is amazing. It's beautiful. As a matter of fact, these findings have implications for and applications for maritime technology so that ships have actually been designed that can closely follow, take advantage of this hydrodynamic reality, conserve energy, and save time in transit. It's almost as if someone designed them that way. Now, let's go to the happy dances that we saw before, just a little bit, the mating dances. Again, another example of how God has created these beings. My favorite is the one bird that will, uh, you'll see uh, predominantly in this video. It's like the uh, golden pheasant. These are the punk rockers of birds. I think this is how Nate and Taylor were. Uh, we're sparking. The Michael Jackson of birds, the mannequin. birds continue to exist today? Is it just by chance that they develop these dances? The albatross, huge bird, a lot of fun watching it trying to land. It can stay aloft for months in the air. And why in the world would any female bird think this guy is really slick? I gotta get together with him. Wait, wait till it turns around. I love the fact that it looks like a couple of eyes. 
rifle bird, yeah. This is my Those of you who are single, uh, guys, I don't recommend whistling to attract a mate. That could backfire, seriously. Okay, that's, I think that's enough. Let's go ahead and look at uh, problems with birds evolving into dinosaurs. Actually, I mean dinosaurs evolving into birds. Uh, there are several issues with that. We could actually, if we keep the lights down, guys, just a little bit, it's easier to see, uh, especially with the uh, light color of the background on these slides. Thank you. Um, most of the uh, most of evolutionists have speculated that birds evolved from reptiles. As a matter of fact, the Darwin's watchdog or bulldog, uh, Thomas Huxley, was the first to speculate back in the early 19th century that birds evolved into dinosaurs. Actually, dinosaurs evolved into birds. The origin of birds from dinosaurs is touted as irrefutable dogma in our schools, biology textbooks, and in the popular media. Have any of you uh, watched the animated movie, The Mitchells versus the Machines? No aficionados of children's animated films, huh? Well, in that movie, there is a family, and of course, the father is the foil, the father is the fool, um, and the mother is, you know, obviously the wise one in the family, as always. Um, Debbie's shaking her head. Um, <clears throat> the Mitchells get into a position where uh, they have to fight against robots that uh, Yahoo or Google created. And um, the one son in the Mitchell family is enamored of dinosaurs, and he talks about how dinosaurs had feathers. Well, there's a problem with that. But it's how it, I, I say that to illustrate how this dogma is just throughout all of our culture. Uh, many evolutionists now agree that birds are in some way related to dinosaurs. They're divided over whether birds evolved from early shared ancestors within the dinosaurs or later, uh, such as the T-Rex. The later view has gained popularity since 1970, uh, and so people think, gee, I'm eating this chicken, it's a bit of a T-Rex. Well, there, there are lots of problems with transforming any dinosaur, particularly a pteropod, the ones that walk on their back legs, all right? They stand, they stand upright, they walk on their back legs, little tiny arms and hands. First key issue uh, in whether or not dinosaurs can turn into birds is the fact that birds are warm-blooded. There's evidence from not only existing reptiles that we have today, that they are cold-blooded, what we used to call uh, poikiotherms that they need to be heated up by either activity or sitting in the sun, that sort of thing. And birds are homeotherms, they're self-generating heat. Most, with very few exceptions, living reptiles are cold-blooded, while birds and mammals are warm-blooded. Warm-blooded animals 
have internal physiological mechanisms to maintain an essentially constant body temperature. In contrast, reptiles have a varying body temperature influenced by surrounding environment and activity. Well, some evolutionists have argued that dinosaurs were also endothermic, but there's no clear evidence for this. One of the lines of the evidence for endothermic or self-heating dinosaurs is based on the microscopic structure of dinosaur bones. Fossil dinosaur bones have been found containing special microscopic structures called osteons. Osteons are complex concentric layers of bone surrounding blood vessels in area where the bone is dense. But as you just saw in the video, the bones of birds are primarily hollow lattice work. And they're designed that way to be extremely lightweight. Next time, what's one of the reasons you don't feed your dog chicken bones is the very fact that the chicken bone is hollow and contains very sharp little pieces. So there's a big difference there and one that cannot be explained by chance and time. Alan Fiducia, who's an expert on birds and their evolution, has concluded that there has never been, nor is there now or ever, any evidence that dinosaurs were self-heating, endothermic. He said that despite the lack of evidence, many authors have tried to make specimens conform to the hot-blooded theropod dogma. Another key issue of why it's problematic to try to turn dinosaurs into birds is the three-fingered hand. One of the main lines of evidence cited by evolutionists for the evolution of birds from pteropods, again, those upright dinosaurs, is that recent studies have shown that there's a digital mismatch between birds and theropods. So, in dinosaurs, the fingers of a dinosaur come from a five-fingered appendage during their, uh, their development embryologically, but it becomes the first, the second, and the third. So you've all seen dinosaurs with three fingers, all right? But in birds, during embryologic development, the precursor is the second, third, and fourth. Again, what, nothing is available that can explain that shift between the development. More importantly, I would point to the avian versus the reptilian lung. As you saw in the video, the bird has a single pass-through for air. Reptiles and mammals, like we, have a bi-directional flow. The figure in the lower right-hand corner shows typical mammalian or reptilian airflow where oxygen will come in and then carbon dioxide will go out, but it's in the same pathway. Birds have a single flow-through pathway, which is required for their higher metabolic rate so that you don't have a mixture of carbon dioxide waste mixing with the incoming oxygen. It's a big, big difference. Another issue, the origin of feathers. Feathers have long been considered to be unique to birds. Certainly all living birds have feathers of some kind while no living creature other than birds have been found to have a cutaneous appendage even remotely similar to a feather. Since most evolutionists have, are certain that birds evolved from dinosaurs, or at least closely related, there has been an intense effort to find dinosaur fossils that show some suggestion of feathers or proto-feathers. 
That's, that's called an observational bias. I know this exists. I'm going to find it. Hey, I found something. This must be what I believed was going to be there. That's called an observational bias. Dinosaurs are reptiles, so it's not surprising that fossil evidence has shown them to have a scaly skin similar to reptiles. Still, there have been some claims of feathered dinosaurs in a region in China. The earliest so-called feathered dinosaur from that area is a very unbird-like dinosaur that lacks any evidence of structures that could be shown to be feather-like. As a matter of fact, more than a proto-feather, it's a filamentous material, probably from the cutaneous area. Now, the picture in the lower right-hand corner that you see there is a picture of an archaeoraptor. The archaeoraptor was a only supposed dinosaur fossil with obvious feathers that was found. Well, National Geographic published in 1999 this picture and the fossil find. But the so-called definitive dinosaur, feathered dinosaur, was reported, that was reported with much fanfare in November of 1999, has been since shown to be a fraud. Different pieces of different animals were put together. And it shows the confirmational bias of the researcher. Well, here's a question for you. What would it prove if features common to one type of animal were found on another? Nothing. Simply put, God uses various designs with various creatures. Can you think of a creature that has a bill, has webbed feet, and is a mammal? A platypus. So you have features that are common to different types of animals in this one baffling enigma that can't be explained. By the way, how does it produce its young? It lays eggs. So you have different features of different... So what would it prove if a fossil evidence was found that had feathers on a reptilian... Nothing. It wouldn't prove anything. It would not prove a transitory you know, or transitional animal. Archaeopteryx, number five. Fossil evidence, Archaeopteryx, has been identified as a transitionary form. But the problem is, it's a bird. It's a bird. Archaeopteryx is now generally recognized to be a true bird. Some specimens of this bird are so perfectly fossilized that even the microscopic details of its feathers is clearly visible. Now, you actually have a problem in fossil evidence. Because of the way a bird is structured, generally birds are smaller. Generally, their bones are smaller as well. They don't make for good fossil examples or specimens. What a, when you think about fossils from the cre, uh, Creatius, uh, Cretaceous area or period or epoch, what animals do you think of? You think of T-Rex, Ankylosaur, right? You think about the Triceratops, huge animals, big bones, not these fragile 
bone structures that we've talked about. <clears throat> so there's a big problem getting that. And the difficulty is that you have, and we'll talk about this in a wee bit, you have fossilized remains of modern birds with animals that are thought to be hundreds of millions of years old. Well, another problem is the origin of flight. In modern evolutionary theory, one of the precursors of birds is supposed to be the theropod, the one that's walking upright, big legs, big tail, big head, teeny tiny arms. For those who might be listening, I've got my elbows at my chest and I'm waving my little teeny tiny wings. Well, I think we're videoing this. We're videoing it? <laughs> I make enough of a fool out of myself. We don't need to video. I've, I definitely have a face for radio, so uh, let's, let's not do that. But there, there's a real problem there. The theropod type of dinosaur that is believed to have evolved into a flying bird is to say one of the least poorly designed for flight. They have small forelimbs that typically can't even reach their mouths. It's not clear what, how do they brush your teeth? It's not clear that theropods, such as the well-known T-Rex, what they did with their tiny front limbs. It's obvious that they couldn't walk, feed, or grass, uh, or grass prey with them, and they certainly didn't fly with them. Another problem is the bipedal type of dinosaur had a long, heavy tail to balance the weight of a long neck and a large head. Decorating a creature like that with feathers would have an implausible result. The only conclusion that you can draw is that having a true bird appear before alleged feathered dinosaurs with no mechanism to change scales into feathers, no mechanism to change a reptilian lung into an avian lung, and no legitimate dinosaurs found with feathers, they're all good indications that dinosaurs did not turn into birds. The evidence is consistent with what the Bible teaches about birds being unique and created on the fifth day after their kinds. Further, there's living evidence. Evolutionists love to talk about how dinosaurs evolved into birds. Their favorite example is Archaeopteryx, which they believe is either one or the first transitional forms between dinosaurs and birds. In making that argument, however, they point to Archaeopteryx's combination of feathers, wings, claws on the wings, among other traits which they claim were indicative of a creature evolving from a reptile into a bird. Yet, there are living birds today that have fingers. Ostrich on the tiny wings has fingers. The hotsin, you see a little picture of this chicken-like creature there, the hotsin, and it provides evidence that Archaeopteryx is not a transitional form after all. It's a very unique bird something of a conglomeration of traits typical of birds, reptiles, and even mammals. As a bird, it shares characteristics typical of birds, such as being warm-blooded, having feathers, and so on. It's roughly the size of a turkey, so it's a very apropos time to talk about this, since we just celebrated Thanksgiving, with a colorful crested head, long tail feathers. However, its most interesting unique features aren't distinctly unbird-like. The traits and the obvious discontinuity from other birds have completely impeded 
any evolutionary attempt to classify it. It is, like the platypus, an enigma. When a young Hudson's hatch, they're generally found in a wet environment. They have claws on their wings. This has been known for over 100 years. When frightened, the young Hudson will abandon the nest and dive into the water below. Like I said, they're always found near water to either hide or die for safety. And then these tiny birds, and you see a picture of a fledgling there, they climb out of the water and they climb up the tree. It's fascinating. The Audubon Society's article on the Hudson argue that those claws were developed because of the need to get back into the nest after diving for cover. Well, I don't know about you, but I think that if a bird came out of its nest and there was a predator that had frightened it out of the nest and it didn't have the ability to climb back to the nest, well, you, you fill in the gap. I suspect that some people dislike the idea that natural selection has no foresight. The process itself, in effect, does not know where to go. It is the environment that provides the direction or the atmosphere in which God had created the animal to exist. Natural selection, the blind, unconscious, automatic process which Darwin discovered and claimed and which is claimed for the explanation of the existence and apparent purposeful form of life has no purpose in mind. As adults, Hotsons still leave many scientists baffled. Unlike most birds, Hotsons are strictly vegetarian, eating leaves from trees and bushes rather than insects or small animals. They're clearly designed for their diet. The head is small and mobile compared to the rest of their body. They're able to climb through the trees. They have a foregut fermentation. The food they eat is fermenting in their crop in the esophagus of the bird before it ever reaches their stomach, accelerating the difficult process of breaking down fibrous plant material. So their internal organs are vastly different than the majority of birds. So, however, in the region in South America where this bird is found, many of the tourist uh, guides still refer to this as a living fossil, as something that came from a line of dinosaurs. Well, we talked about this briefly. Modern birds are found in the Cretaceous epoch, in the Cretaceous layers of fossil evidence. From a creation perspective, we would hold that both dinosaurs and toothed and non-toothed birds existed at the same time, and that pteropod dinosaurs did not evolve into archaic or extinct birds, and then further evolve into modern birds. So we should not be surprised to find evidence of modern birds and Triceratops, T-Rex, Ankylosaurus, all together in the same layers. Thomas Stigham is a evolutionary theorist, and he says, all known Cretaceous bird fossils representing modern taxa are found within the Cretaceous layer. Dinosaurs and feathered birds live together. Evolutionists are pretty much agreed on that. Well, what's our conclusion? I've gotten this lengthy paragraph and it's written down on you because I anticipated it would be pretty difficult to read this, but let me read this for you. 
We stand amazed in our Creator as we consider wide variety and irreducible complexity found within birds, their habitats, mating rituals, diets, coloration, that they can fly or be flightless, how the specifics of their wonder, wondrous forms have inspired man to fly, God's provision for us in design, safety, aerodynamic and hydraulic principles, communication, and food. We are more convinced that the biblical account is true as we understand that birds are warm-blooded, aptly designed for their environments with unique bone, lung, and feather designs separating them from other creatures. Even paleontology provides a confirmation of the Genesis account with God being the source and origination of these marvelous creatures. And again, boys and girls, we've witnessed another miracle I have finished ahead of time. And you have been very patient. And gentlemen in the sound booth, thank you so much for putting up with my difficult links. I appreciate that. Any questions, observations? Next week, we're going to be talking about land animals. The week after that, dinosaurs. Then the week after that will be man. And then there'll be a video of creatures that defy evolution. That will be on DVD and make our, our poor men in the sound booth life a little easier. <laughs> Any other questions, observations? Either I'm a wonderful teacher or I put you all to sleep. Let me go with that and get a little quiet and let you enjoy your nap before we get together and worship with God's people. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for how you have created these creatures in such a way as to give you glory for your creative design and to confound even those people who would come at an understanding of your world with their biases. Lord, we pray that you would help all of us as we study creation to get a better understanding of who you are, who we are, and how we need to rightly respond to you. Lord, I pray that you would indeed enable more and more scientists from every discipline that you would open their eyes to see your beauty, your grandeur, our intense need of reconciliation with you. And Lord, that you would enable them to give you praise and honor as the only creator. Lord, that you would raise up a generation of individuals who have studied all of your creation and come away with the firm conclusion that Christ is Lord of all and in him all things hold together. Thank you for this time. Help us to worship you aright as we gather with your people that you would be exalted, your son's renown would be lifted up and that we would love and obey you even more fervently. And we praise you in the name of your son. Amen. Amen.